Welcome, everybody, again to yes. a new episode to That's Ethan Weird. Tonight, we have Lily, I believe, bringing a new topic. Mm-hmm. Yes. But first off, we need to introduce all of our hosts. First off, I am Clark, a.k.a. the Reverend Michael Snakebite. And who do we have here together? Uh, <laughs> that was perfect, you guys. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. You guys are nailing it. You guys are hitting <laughs> it out of the park. Way to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's like, <"Lord, laughs> keep going, there? guys. We're almost there. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> everybody, everybody is so shocked that Clark did the intro that, that <laughs> nobody knows what to do. Stunned. <laughs> Speechless. <laughs> I scared oh, Alex. I didn't realize. <laughs> All right, let's do this okay. again. <laughs> every time, every time. <laughs> yep. I don't know. I don't know what to say. They're they're intimidated by my masculinity, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> hey, welcome oh, he's back. back. Yeah. I, I guess Craig doesn't like me and kicked me from the the server. I, I don't you know. You were booted out? Yeah. <laughs> what rude? <laughs> I don't know. Like... Oh, that's incredibly rude. Okay. All right, I'm good. Is everyone else good? Yes. yes. Do that again. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, does anyone else want to do the intro? I did it already. Oh, you, you did the intro? Yes. Yeah, I did. Oh my god. You didn't hear any of that? Yeah, I know. Yeah, we did the intro. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just playing around with you guys. Yeah, let's. And I'm. Yeah, let's. We're we're good. Let's keep. Uh, let's keep talking. I, mm-hmm. I'm Alex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 and I'm Lily. I'm well hydrated tonight, and also I have quite the story. So I hope you're ready. Again, I hope you have a piece of paper and a pen. There will be a test at the end of the episode. So keep notes. I know it's a convoluted story. There's a lot of names, um, a lot of French names, but feel free to just ask me a question if I'm just getting a little lost in the weeds there. I'll try to keep it classy. Um, the case I'm about to talk to you about tonight happens about 20 years ago in France, just a little plot of land in the southwest of France. Um, and this thing made the news so much that 20 years ago, you can find, um, sorry, 20 years after the fact. So now you can find articles and YouTube videos, documentaries, um, even in English. Uh, talking about what happened to this family it's um about as close to a cult as you can get it's it's very interesting i'm fascinated by cults so i try to read a lot about it i don't know everything of course but um yeah just feel free to stop me anytime and we can chat about it i think the uh the thing about cults too Mm -hmm. is that it's very easy to get 
stuck in like or not stuck but like get into that rabbit hole and it'll just take you in all sorts of weird directions mm-hmm. i think the uh, the last one that we did was with you ro and we had talked about this a little bit earlier before the show is yeah. just that there's, there's so much information and that there's so many places times people and events that happen and even the one that you had done with us clark when you first came onto the show with uh the branch davidians it, it there's so much so for you as the audience member I'm sure we're probably not going to cover everything now, but you know, just, I would, I would look into it almost like what Lily was saying. Take some notes. If you have questions, just let us know. We'll, we'll try to answer them uh, the best that we can. Absolutely. And I'll reference some uh, source media that you can look up on your trusty browser and find out more about this story. It's fascinating. Um, I know it can be a little intimidating because it's in a different language, but they are there's a lot of material translated in English as well. So um, I think my, my favorite source that I used for this uh, research is OKI uh, video series on this family. Uh, and it's a five-parter. I think total it may be one hour. It's very easy to listen to. Uh, so check it out. All right, let us get started. Um, so today I'm going to talk about a case uh, that surrounds a character, a man called Thierry Tilly. So I may refer to, to him as Thierry or as Tilly. Um, and you could say that it's a caution tale about a con artist we- weaving his lies and manipulation techniques um, until an entire, honestly, an entire aristocratic family from France just gets manipulated into losing their entire fortune um at the end of the episode we'll just tally up how much they've lost and it's ridiculous um he'll cut them off from their support system from their community and he will also take their grasp of reality Um, he's just a very powerful man man his operation was mostly one man himself but he has gotten the help of a few others that either have been victims of his or simply trying to make a quick buck so he's just very he's very skilled at what he does um real 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 mm -hmm. quick lily i'm I'm sure you're going to get into this yes how many people were a part of it was it just this one family or was it okay so it wasn't like a group of people okay okay it is one family and their spouse um the kids uh, it spans across three generations. So there's the matriarch, and then there's the children and their children. So total, it's a family with like, I think, 11 members, just about. Okay. Um, okay. And they are part of the nobility. So they used to live in a castle. Um, they just had a lot of money that was taken away from them in the span of 10 years. It's it's incredible the damage that he's done in such a short amount of time. So the story is first brought to the attention of the general population uh, by an article from Le Monde. You may have heard of this uh, publication before. Um, and it was titled The Mystery of Montflanquin. Montflanquin is the name of the city, the region of uh, where the story takes place. Neighbors were telling a story about a known family of, uh, sorry, aristocrats, 
um, seemingly self-isolating after cutting all their ties with the community, with their family, just everything. They completely closed up from the outside. Um, and as we'll see more in just a few minutes, they used to be very much open towards the community. They, they held um, philanthropic, philanthropic uh, events. They just invited people inside of their castle. Um, and really, they, were, they weren't flaunting their money at all because they didn't have much, all things considered. But um, they were trying to give back and not be so separated. So as we'll see, this changes quickly. I no, almost... <clears throat> uh, sorry to cut you off, Lily. No, you're, you're but I almost fine. feel like that's... There has to be... I'm sure there is somewhere where there's like the... Um, like identifiers of like being in a cult or kind of like that. Cause yes. I, with you saying like they started getting isolated and like getting mm -hmm. away from people that they love, you know, and like friends and family. I feel like that was a lot with like almost like the Branch Davidians, the one that Clark uh, had covered, where it's like they're in their own little compound doing their own little thing. Same with the Anthill cult that Roe had covered, where it's this, you know, cult in the woods in the middle of nowhere and i wonder if that's just part of being a cult like even the uh, uh jonestown like they moved to an entire different country in mm -hmm. the jungle just isolated and i think that has to be like i said part of like the identifier of a cult that isolation from everyone else so i think that's something that you have to you know watch out for yes um, I've, I've taken some notes throughout the story where I try to point out some of the boxes that usually we check when talking about a cult. Um, you may have heard the name Steve Asan, Dr. Steve Asan, uh, thrown around. He's an expert in the Western world about cults and just cult tactics. He has a, a, a book that's very thorough, walks you through pretty much how to deprogram someone, how to recognize the signs. And that is what I based my notes on when I'm like, okay, this is kind of like we're getting more into the culty. It's not just a con anymore. It's a cult. Um, I think one of the only traits that doesn't quite qualify as cult is they're not trying to recruit anyone. They're very much turned towards themselves and they'll go as far as to shun people from the family and just um, just tighten the grip around the few members that were programmed so hard and so deeply with uh, Cherry Tilly. So one of the, uh, so what you're saying is one of the uh, identifiers is like recruiting. That's that that's like an identifier of like a cult is the recruiting yeah. aspect. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. It, okay. It's not. It's not. Of course, it's not a hundred percent of the cult do that, but it's a trait that some have. They'll just. Um, it can be just passing along the message or telling people the truth or opening their eyes about this or that. It's just getting more recruits in. Sometimes it's just to get more funds in, or it's just putting into the um, ego of the cult leader. But it's, yeah, it's one of the current characteristics yeah, of cults. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I also think that um, it, it works the other way also. Um, mm -hmm. While they are recruiting more folks, they yes. also hold on to the people. They don't allow anyone to leave. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And those well, who are shunned are very just, they, they're talked down to like they're trash, like they're less than. It's, it's incredible. That, that's what I was going to actually. Oh, you're dead. 
I was going to interject and say um, <clears throat> isolation, like isolationism is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Like if you are somebody who is already on the outside and don't feel like they have anyone to connect to. So isolationism, you know, and then once you're in that, they isolate you from the outside yes. world. And, and it's then, so striking that nowadays we can identify, okay, this is exactly when he tried to do this. This is exactly when he went on to this step. And it'll be very easy to identify as the story unfold. It's almost textbook, honestly. Mm-hmm. So let's start right at the beginning. The story starts right after the start of the century. Um, this is really when it gets a little, a little weird. Um, and it will last for almost a decade, as I said. Really, the conclusion is right before 2009, 2010. This is when finally it stopped this craziness. Um, they will progressively fall into Thierry Tilly's trap. Uh, and he's very unassuming. Um, he's not particularly conventionally attractive. He's rather small, rather gaunt. He's he just has this charisma about himself and he he's really gifted um he can talk he, he can convince people he can persuade them he's that's where his strength lies beyond the the family that we're about to talk um to talk about he has conned others as well out of tens of thousands of dollars or euros i guess um so first let's introduce the family they're called the the Vedrine, uh, in two words, so D-E-N, Vedrine. Um, uh, and they're uh, a family of uh, aristocrats, as I said before. Um, and their lineage can be traced all the way back to the 17th uh, century. So they're quite old, and in history, they've been just notable. Um, not they were particularly um, blessed with money, but they were landlords. So um, they just owned a lot of land in that part of France. Um, so they're, they're an old Protestant family and landowners. Um, and they're, they're established in the southwest of France. So if you can see the hexagon, and a picture of France, and just the south edge in that little corner here. It would be opposite on the camera. Um, so the, the region they're in, if we have Francophones listening to this show, is the lot garonne so that's where that's where they are, and it's a spot right in the middle of Bordeaux and Toulouse. It's just this little speck of beautiful land and just hills, and it's gorgeous. Look it up on YouTube. Um, this story takes place in this beautiful village, but it will take us in France and also to England. So we're we're going abroad. It's gonna be fun. Um, the the Divergerine were quite a tight-knit family at first. There's the matriarch, that's Guillaumet, um, and I will reintroduce them as the, continue, as the story continues because I know with foreign names it's not as easy to follow. Um, and usually they were just gathering with the matriarch uh, during the summers to their um, chateau, of course it's a chateau, Chateau Martel, which would be just based on a hill, beautiful 50 acres, um, just medieval beautifulness. It's incredible. If you look it up on YouTube, um, if you look up the city itself, which is Montflanquin, or the castle, which is Chateau Martel, uh, it's beautiful, it's well-preserved, 
it's just a quaint little piece of deliciousness. Um, and as I said, they would gather every summer and often put up events towards the community or they would invite people in. So they weren't really the reclusive um, nobility that's just looking down on people. That wasn't really their style. They were more open to uh, putting on show with, shows with kids and just inviting the community in and meddling with the people around and the village around them. Um, now we'll come back to that afterwards with hindsight. Um, while they weren't flaunting their money much, they were still very much proud of their uh, ancestry and their lineage. So being a Devadrine would be quite the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You're special. If you're part of the family, you're special. You're part of the uh, nobility. I can't find the word I'm looking for. Um, so mostly the matriarch was quite... Can I ask a random I'm question? Sorry? As a, like, as a history guy, can I ask a random question? Yes. So, uh, southeast, or we're talking about... Um, well, southwest of France. Southwest, southwest mm -hmm. of France. Um, yes. And you said that that was um, uh, Martel. You, you said the name Martel, and I was just, like, yes. curious, uh, like, um, you know, Charles Martel, like the hammer. Yes. Is that named after him by any that chance? I am or not is... entirely sure. That okay. I am not sure. <laughs> I was very it's, curious. It's, it's not a famous name, but it's pretty common. So it wouldn't surprise me if it was just named after Charles Martel, okay. but I am not entirely sure. I have not looked more into the castle itself. As a military historian, Charles the Hammer. Martel, <laughs> like it's yeah. one of the most badass names ever in history. Yeah, right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, yeah, I just wondered if that was actually named after him because that's very close to uh, Andorra and and basically Spanish. Yes. Well, mm -hmm. basically where he stopped the you know Moorish mm -hmm. kind of invasions. Uh, you know, it would make sense. It would make sense because it's beautiful land with a big old castle. Um, and even Montflanquin is very uh, well preserved as well. Um, uh, the video that I was watching saying that it was one of the last bastions of medieval, you know, history. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if it was named after Charles Martel. Yeah. Okay. I, was, mm -hmm. I just wanted to interject there and do my Yeah, no, that was a good point. That was a good point. <laughs> I, it oh. didn't even... <laughs> <laughs> it didn't make me think twice at all. Um, going back to the family that resides in this beautiful castle. Um, so the matriarch, Guillaumet, would have three children. The eldest would be Philippe, which we will talk about quite often. Um, Guylaine would be the middle child. And finally, Charles-Henri. So this would be the three um, key people of the story. Uh, Philippe was the oldest, and he was in his 60s when the story unfolds. Um, still very much aware, uh, still very smart, very quick, um, and witty. Uh, he worked as a civil engineer for an oil company, Shell, and uh, most of his life. So he, that's, that's what he did, that's what he knew, and he was very good at it. Uh, he was living with his partner at the time, uh, Bridget. Guylaine, the middle child, uh, she was married as well to a journalist, which will also have an important role in the story. 
Um, she had two children while running a secretarial school in Paris. Um, and it, it was quite a ways from where they were in, at first in Montflanquin, but there's a reason why we'll re we, we will revisit that. Uh, and finally, Charles-Henri, the youngest, uh, was an OBGYN and he was married as well. He had three children and he was in his early 50s when it started. Um, it's quite the family already, but there are more names coming and I'll make sure to be very clear when I reference someone. Uh, please do let me know if uh, you don't quite remember who is who. Um, so now let's introduce the con man, Thierry Tilly, after his victims. Um, the man at the center of this story, he was born in 64 next to the Paris region, so up north. Um, and he went on to study law. Um, he will talk about himself as someone who is very worldly, very knowledgeable, very connected, but we'll see that the reality is not really uh, what he said. He was just a simple man and he was gifted in manipulating people. When he met Gillette, sorry, when we met Gillette, he was married to a model um, and he was not very conventionally attractive himself. You can look up pictures um, and he's just yeah, he's just a dude. He, he's not much. Um, at 35, when he met Gillen. <laughs> hold on, hold on, Lily. I, uh -huh. I love that. He's he's just a dude. <laughs> yeah, he's just a dude, you know. <laughs> I'm keeping it real, okay? <laughs> the filter is off. Um, when he met Gillen, he was 35, but again, he presented himself as just someone that's so knowledgeable that is here to fix your problems. Um, he's quick to react, he's quick to act, and he knows a lot of people. So if he doesn't know to fix it himself, he'll find you someone that knows. Very resourceful. Um, Guylain de Vedrine was the first to meet Thierry Tilly uh, in 97. How old were you guys in 97? <laughs> I was one. <laughs> so uh, it's been a bit ago. Wait, in what, in 97? I was yep. six. Six? Yeah, I was eight. I was ten. Uh -huh. I turned 13. Oh, oh no, I'm the youngest. I didn't realize it would go this way. <laughs> I was 12, turning 13, yeah. Oh. <laughs> so yes, Gillen, the middle child, she met our con man in 97. And at the time, she was dealing with a lawsuit uh, that she just won, but she initiated it. The thing is, her two children uh, went to that school and unfortunately, the funds were mishandled. It wasn't just directed very well, so the thing just fell apart. And they, did, they hadn't quite finished their degree. They still have just a few months to go. So they thought, if we can keep it going just until summer, then they will have graduated and after that we can reassess. But that's really the, the purpose of initiating this lawsuit is Let's keep the school afloat until they're done, and then we can rethink the whole thing. And it wasn't going great. Uh, honestly, the lawsuit was kind of a mess because the funds were not there. And um, while she was very smart, Gillen, she surrounded herself with a legal team that had a particular man uh, in it, a lawyer called... Um, where, where is his name? Vincent David is his name. He will also be a key person in this story, I, I will reintroduce him when it's uh, appropriate. 
So he was helping the legal team and when at the 11th hour, when everything was just going to the shitter, sorry, but it's true, um, Vincent David, one of the lawyers, thought, look, I know a man that might be able to fix this. He talks very well. He presents very well. He might be able to help us. And of course, that was Terry Tilly. But that is when she met him. And this is probably the turning point. I think if she had to change something, it would be that. It's to not meet that man because he will destroy her life. He will ruin her. It will, he will ruin his, her family. And it's just the beginning of the end from now on. Um, so they won the school, they won the lawsuit, so the school was saved, and she was appointed as the director of the secretarial school so that her kid could continue on and graduate. It wasn't easy, again, there were no funds, um, and she poured as much as she could in the school, but it was still not the best, it was very stressful, and when she started to um, just have Cherry Tilly in her life, she was just in a moment of stress, transitional period, um, starting a new job that she's not the most qualified for. It was just very stressful. And I think that's one of the reasons why she fell victim so easily at first. Um, she was just defenseless at that point. So you can't blame her, really. So how it started was after the lawsuit, she kind of lost contact with Mr. Tilly. And, uh, but at some point she needed some services done to the school to make it a little more attractive to new students since um, the retention rate was not great, the attendance and the registration was just not it. The technology was outdated, the building itself wasn't in a great shape, so she was just looking for contractors. And once again, the lawyer, Mr. Vincent David, um, just said, well, look, you know this guy, he has a company, he can do the cleaning, and he's just... He does his thing well, so just get in touch, and we'll see what happened. She did, and she just, it didn't quite click at that point. Um, Charity Lee is pretty unassuming, again, I don't mean to be mean, but it's true. So it didn't quite mesh the first time. Um, but as he offered his services, and soon he was like, well, I can fix your computers. I know my way around computers, so I can do that. And he was so proactive and so helping, ready, overzealous, that he weaved his way into her life. Um, soon enough, she gave him a job at the school uh, to be just in the upper management and helping around, helping with organizing and making things a little smoother for the school to just really go and be lucrative, because at that point it really hadn't been. Now, was this something where he actually knew his way around like computers and the things that he was saying, or was he outsourcing and possibly getting other people to come in and help? Was he one of these like people that's like, oh, yo, no, I can help you, but he just gets someone else who actually does know this to come and help? Is it one of those things? So it really depended on the problem at that point. He, he did know his way around, around computers, so whatever she thought they needed done, which was updating and maintenance of the computer, it wasn't that bad that he would need particular expertise. So he was able to do that. But for other problems, he would reach out to his connections and have it fixed or um, just find better deals or better contacts. He was just that connected and just knew the right people at the right time. And with the little bit that he knew, he just made it work. And it really made a big impact 
um, Forgulin. I will. I will say too that I will agree with you, Lily, on this. I, I know, like, I'm not. I'm not trying to make fun of the guy, but he looks like a. Uh, right? He looks kind of like Bill Gates. He kind of looks like yeah. Bill Gates, like Bill Gates' younger brother. And, and, uh, and I'm just, I'm, that's you know all I'm going to say. He's just a dude. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. Just a dude. He just kind of is. <laughs> yeah, he just, you know, he he's just a himself. little guy. Yes, the world, actually. Just yoga pants here. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's nothing weird. Um, that's our quote here. We're all just dudes in yoga pants. So, mm -hmm. all right. That's, that's going to be on, on a new shirt. shirt. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Seth, Seth made that like a made that a thing. I guess <laughs> we're all just dudes in yoga pants yes. here. We're good. Yes. Next episode, I'll remember to wear yoga pants. I will. <laughs> and, and a beanie if if you can manage it. Deal. Car beanie. I'm in. He's inspired yes. me. He's inspired me. I'm wearing yoga pants right now, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so, the best way to, to go I'm, I'm listening if if you don't mind could we get like a a picture of you like modeling the yoga pants oh, so we can put absolutely. that so we can put that on the shirt <laughs> we can do that yes. and also if we actually bring our line of yoga pants out with the with oh, that seven weird God. logo print um <laughs> we'll also I'll model some of that if you want so Yes. yes. Done. That's right. in yoga. That's in My yoga. My people will get with your people. We'll make it happen. Yes. We'll make, it, we'll make this happen. We'll make yes. it happen. Don't worry about it. This is, this is definitely a thing. That's in yoga. We're going to get mats. We're going to get pants. We're going to get like tank tops. We're going to like, <laughs> this is going to happen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, coming back to, yeah. I can't even go through a, a, a like grocery store parking lot right now and not like smell gas fumes and not think about Seth now being like, God, I gotta, I gotta get into a sauna. <laughs> like I gotta, <laughs> like after we did. I just, episode. I just like how serious uh, Clark has gotten about this. He's he, the, the gears are turning. He's like, we got, we got to start protocol. Yeah. Like we, we gotta we gotta co-author a protocol. This yeah. is serious business. Look. It was it was just a silly episode. Now all of a sudden I can't walk through a parking lot without thinking about I gotta go detox now. <laughs> I think there are worse things to think about crossing a parking lot. You know what? It's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. Getting back to the story, um, while Terry Tilly was a pretty unassuming man. Um, he just carried himself in a way that was very mysterious, very, very smart, witty, and know-it-all, but not too much that Gillen would have catched on, would have caught on, sorry. Um, and there's just something so mysterious and busy and elusive. She kind of was seduced by this side of the man. Um, her love life was not great. At the time, she was married to a gentleman named Jean Marchand, which will be an important character in this story. Um, he had just been through a bankruptcy with the magazine that he uh, had built, uh, and he's a journalist, uh, and it just uh, did not go well, lost a lot of money, and 
this put a lot of stretch on him, on her, and on her, their marriage as well. So she lost her confidence and a lover in her husband. So that's what she found in Thierry. He was very much here to listen, to comfort her, and he fixed her problems. And that's just something that she was missing, I think, from her husband at the time. And you add to that the stress of the lawsuit, the stress of the new job, trying to make it work, trying to keep things afloat. I think it was, he came at the right time to do so much damage and just completely wreck the trust between uh, her and her husband. I think that's something that, um, that cultish people or people that prey on other people I think that's something that they can pick up on very well as people's yes. like vulnerabilities and their weaknesses. Not to say that she was mm -hmm. weak or anything, mm -hmm. but like when you're going through a hard time, I think people like that can pick up on it and see it and then yes. prey upon that. And I, I don't know if that's, again, I don't know if that's part of like the cult, like, you know, checklist thing, but I do think people kind of like what you're saying, Lily, just yeah his only characteristics was the way that he can talk and maybe that's something that he can see too is people's vulnerabilities mm -hmm. and people's weaknesses and that's how he mm. preys upon people yes i could totally see that because from the story from what you can gather he was a very good listener maybe too good um he just picked on on the right details you know um and at the time as i said gillen was having a rough time in her marriage financially it wasn't easy either um, her son, as well, had difficulties at school. He was just in a rough period with just all the stress around. It doesn't really surprise me. Um, and, you know, through through the lawyer, through his work at the school, Terry Tilly just weaved his way an inch closer every time. Um, and at some point she was like, well, look, can you mentor my son? He's having a rough time. And Terry Tilly, of course, of course took him in, gave him an internship at his company, Presswell Company, I think it's called, um, and just gave him an opportunity to recenter, refocus, and just be mentored by Charity Lee, which that's yeah. just another piece of the puzzle that he grabbed and stole from uh, Gillen at the time. Now, was his company that he ran, was it already like kind of lucrative or was it kind of, do you know if it was on like the brink of collapse? And this was his way of uh, like. So here's the thing with Thierry Tilly. He was just a business guy. It wasn't great, this, his businesses. But at the time, he ran just about 10 businesses that were in various stages of being afloat, being not quite running well, being mismanaged. But he was just entrepreneurial. And that particular one, I think, Presswell, Presswell Company, it was doing fairly great. It was doing okay. So, um, and that's the one he chose to mentor, um, Gillen's son. So he was just a business guy. And I think being able to talk so well helped a lot with that. I think so. Um, he claimed, uh, when he introduced himself more deeply to Gillen, he claimed that he was just this, uh, foreign aristocrat, part of the nobility as well. He was a descendant of the Habsburg uh, nobility. Um, of course, he, uh, his mom, I believe, had uh, met the French president at the time, uh, François Mitterrand. So he just knew everything about anything. He knew anyone who was something, and if he wanted something to get done, he could. 
And so far, he had proven that even the even if the issues that Gillen brought up to him were not as big as she thought they were, he had just showed up every time. Uh oh, we lost someone. Is that Alex? Oh, he'll be back. Did I, did I just continue or wait? Yeah, just go go for yeah. it. Okay. 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 And while while Terry Tilly introduced himself as such this worldly man with incredible um in heritage i guess um his good friend now vincent david that we the lawyer that we talked about earlier he was also singing singing his praises he was saying look cherry tilly he's so reliable if you need something done he will get it done he's a good confidant he's he's a great guy all around um uh sorry i already talked about that so now we're right at the turn of the century, 2000, and she decides to hire him as a full-time deputy director in the secretarial school. He was just doing so much around already. He managed the teachers. He handled the funds. So it just made sense to pretty much give him the keys of the business. Um, he was just involved in every decisions. Eventually, he worked his way to become so close to Gillen um, that he was virtually uh, her her second hand. Yes, sorry. <laughs> um, it, he was just so involved in everything that she was doing that she lost a little bit of autonomy at this point, and she just became so detached of the school. It wouldn't surprise me if simply she was done with it. She had poured enough of her time, of her resources, and simply she was done with the school. So she just relinquished a little bit more, an inch more to Terry Tilly. Um, and he took everything. He doubled his salary. He took bon bonuses. He was taking money from the funds of the school um, because sure, he did do some things to improve the school. Um, he improved their programs. He made it international. It It's great what he did, but it was to, his goal, his aim was just gain and very selfish. So um, he was working at the school and also handling his own business. Was yes, that it? Oh. multiple businesses. Um, now, to what extent those businesses were actual businesses? I'm not sure they were anything more than things on paper, but... Mm -hmm. That's what he was doing at the time. He had his companies and he was also a deputy director, very involved in the school. Oh. Um, so here at, at this point of time in my uh, notes, I put a little uh, excerpt about Steve Hassan, um book. Uh, it's called Combating Cult Mind Control. If you can look it up, if it's available in your uh, library or maybe on Audible, give it a listen. I think it's a good book. It's very interesting to just to just give it a read. And um, he's the leading cult expert in the Western world, so very knowledgeable guy. And this is what he writes about how or why someone can become a target uh, to cults. This is what he says. The stress is often due to some kind of major transition. Moving to a new town, starting a new job, breaking off a relationship, experiencing financial instability or losing a loved one, 
People in certain situations tend to have sorry, tend to have defense mechanisms that are overloaded or weakened. And if they don't know how to spot and avoid destruct destructive cults, they are easy prey. And I think that pretty much sums up what happened to Gilan at this point. She didn't know it, but she was already too close to the fire, I think. Just relinquishing so much of her um, autonomy and um, decision-making. Hmm. Um, yeah, so, so yes. That, mm -hmm. that describes a lot of um, <clears throat> what we think about, like, uh, American, like, 60s hippie culture, like, what we think yeah. about, like, kind of the golden age, I guess, what you would think of, like, cult behavior in the Western world. Mm -hmm. um, but I do find that fascinating, like, how disenfranchised people can be susceptible to that no matter where you are in the world. Yes. Like, it doesn't really matter, like, like it's, it's, it's not you know, regional. Mm -hmm. Like you are susceptible to that anywhere in that point. Even if it's like, um, I mean, you can say terrorist groups. It can be like religion-based. It can be, um, it mm -hmm. can be politically motivated. Um, you know, as a, as a historian, I, I kind of find it fascinating how like the Balkans always been like a hotbed of kind of, you know, political upending, like that's how World War yeah. you know, things like that. Like, uh, you know, it's just fascinating how like um, disenfranchised youths can be very susceptible um, when they have no other option. Mm -hmm. Just yes. being pulled, being pulled into an idea and making maybe poor choices. So. It's such a slippery slope, yeah. and um, I'm remembering now that um, the three siblings that we mentioned, they had an older sister that passed away. Her name was Anne, and she had just passed away within a year of where we are in the story right now. So add to that losing someone that you look up to, your older sister, it's just such a vulnerable position to be in. Mm. Even if she was, Gillen was, um, still is, I should say, um, just a woman that's pretty good standing in society. She had money. She was rather smart. She was ed educated, but she still fell into that trap. She just did. It's a slippery slope. Just a little bit by little bit, she lost um, everything that she cared about. Um, Terry Tilly was arguably the solution to all of her problems at that point. Um, he mentored her son, he helped her alleviate uh, stress running the school, he brought the institution afloat, he listened, and he comforted her. He, was, um, he wasn't much talking, and he was, as he was, sorry, um, just taking mental notes of everything she was saying, because she was very open at that point. She had no reason to distrust the man. He was from a good family. Um, he was rich. He was worldly. And he had helped her so much that they were close friends, or at least that's what she thought. Um, soon, she talked to him about very private details of her life, including her family, her family dynamic. 
um, and he also took mental notes of that, of course, and later he will use it in the manipulation tactics that he will use on her. Um, and trust me, I've bullshitted my way through quite a few things, okay? Uh, but that's the next level. <laughs> that's just next level. <laughs> to be just a regular dude and work your way up to be so close to someone that's so blessed in life and using it for evil is something. Takes a lot of guts. Um, what is it, con man? Is confidence man? That he had. That he had confidence. Um, so that brings us to August 2000. Uh, he met the family during one of their summer gatherings uh, at the Chateau Martel. And Guylaine first introduced um, Thierry Tilly before he was even here. And she sang his praises just so much he was everything he knew anyone yeah. and he knew everything he could fix he could um he could find solutions he could influence lawsuit after all he had helped her tip the balance in her favor with the lawsuit with the school so that man was so powerful that absolutely her family just had to meet him and when he finally arrived everyone was already primed they were already in that headspace of, we're going to meet someone great. Mm -hmm. So it was very easy for him after that to use that as a step stool and just continue with the illusion of grandeur and just talk himself, himself, us, talk himself up <laughs> so much that he was just this great person that just could get you in touch with anybody. Of course, his... Um, address book anyone would want access to that his contacts his insider knowledge about the market he knew everything he knew how to make money and if you were smart you would put him in your book so that he could manage your money and make you more money that's just that's just how it is he's just that good um he knew he had this gift of listening and adapting like a chameleon to the person that he was talking to. So for example, the uh, oldest of the siblings, Philippe, um, he had been in the army and he was getting in his 60s. He has still the traditional values very much ingrained in him. And Thierry Tilly used that. He was just, you know, oh, Philippe, you know, you've seen the field you've seen combat you're so strong and you know what i think you should be in charge of that uh shell oil comp oil company that you're working at because you're such a great guy and of course after this interaction philip is left with thoughts that are like wow philip is so great he has the same mindset as i have he he respects his elders he respects earning a living and earning your value that's how he weaved his way with everyone he just picked on okay so you you do this in life and you're that kind of person so i'm just gonna work my way around and just infiltrate your what you're thinking your thoughts which is crazy when you're actually um dissecting afterwards of, of course after the fact dissecting what he did to those elders that were twice three times as old as him it's it's very cruel 
So basically, he was just telling them what they wanted to hear in a way. Yes. Yes. I think, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And even if they didn't know that's what they wanted to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, what seemed to impress the family the most was Thierry Tilly's ability to step in and just make sure this, a situation that they thought was completely lost just turned over and was now in their favor. That was one of his abilities. Um, for example, um, the family used to put on show choirs uh, with kids every, every year. And at some point, Guylaine was, um, was approached by uh, the authorities about grants and money that may have been mis mishandled. And she worked so hard over 10 days putting together a report showing that, no, this money came from here and I used it there and nothing was mishandled and everything was right and lawful. Um, she worked for about two weeks and she was just about to present it and Thierry Tilly stopped her dead in her step and said, do not worry about that. I will talk to them. I will get them fixed. And he did. Somehow he did. He talked in her place and at the end of the day, everything was solved and she didn't have to pay a cent. So he just had this ability to either be at the right time, at the right place, or he knew someone that could help him in a pinch, or simply he talked so well that he could untie the most intricate and possible knot of nonsense. And I don't know how he did that. I didn't really find if he indeed solved those issues or if just he just let it run and hope for the best but it's incredible that how many times he saved them from a situation that they thought was completely lost crazy um so this event among other things will have cherry tilly ask them to look over the finances because you know you shouldn't have that type of problem you're a very esteemed, established, um, aristocratic family. You shouldn't have those problems with taxes. So let me look over your finances and let me see what I can do. And this involved, this evolved into, let me handle your money because I know that I can make you more money. He promised them over 14, 14 sorry, percent of returns and somehow, the next month, he delivered. So they had no reason to not believe this guy. He was just that good. So that's when you he really sometimes had- sometimes luck plays a huge factor on, in these things? Could you say Any... that again? Sorry. Do, do you think luck plays a huge factor yeah. in these things? Yeah, right? because I believe that. Mm -hmm. You give me money, I'll give you 14% more does not always work. You, of course, you need to know, uh, you need to know the market, you need to know uh, mm -hmm. people who, who yes. will actually get it done. But mm -hmm. I think in, in things like this, especially luck definitely plays a role in you know, helping them achieve. Yeah. And it's like... Um... <laughs> It's like, you know, using one bucket to fill another bucket. It's mm -hmm. maybe just money that he placed 
that he uh, moved. Sorry, that's what I meant. It may be money yeah. that he moved from one spot to another just to make it look like um, the returns were what they were, but he may right. have swindled someone else uh, on the other side. So it's... But I do agree there has to be a little bit of luck and a little bit of, you know, being cunning and daring and just just doing it. Fuck it. What happens? Yeah. Um, so Terry Tilly worked his way up to be now the right hand of the family. First, he uh, got into the family through Guillen, worked his way up, now handled their finances, and now he was their advisor. So he would tell them not to invest in this, but to invest in that. He would tell them to sell this property or to invest in this property. Um, he was just so close now to all of their capital. Uh, he had a lot of power over the, over the family. Now they still have agency at that point in the story, but again, that will change. Um, just an inch by an inch, he will take everything that is uh, within reach. Um, I put a note here uh, saying that looking back, it seemed that he had already planned um, how things would unfold. It's like he had a general map of what to do and when, uh, just mapping out how much information to give at one time um, and to give to what member of the family, uh, just to make sure that they would lose grasp on reality, which is kind of evil. It just is. He claimed that their status, their fame, and their fortune was envied because they just had so much, about five millions that they had um, on top of properties and just they were in good standing, they were respected by the community. So, of course, people would envy their fortune and their status, of course. It wasn't enough for him to have complete control of their finances, of the decisions that it would make. Now he wanted to cut them off. Anyone else that could question his way. Um, he was very successful in doing that. It took a few years, but he very much first closed off the family around itself. And then he just um, divide and conquer style, just evicted members of the family that just either didn't believe in what he was doing anymore, or maybe they were questioning him, or simply they were not useful anymore. So he was just, he would just cut it off. Luna, stop. Yeah, that's the, <clears throat> that's the, the, the collapse part. <laughs> when you see the figureheads start, like, yeah. losing all control, they start mm -hmm. just, like, cutting everybody out, and they're just like, oh, you're not, you're not on board, and then you're, you're dead to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I told you before, he introduced himself at this man who knew anybody. And he had, of course, a, um, a story about that, an origin story. He was part of a secret society of people that just knew. Um, it was a secret, all-knowing, powerful government organization that was just all across the world, and of course he was part of it because he knew anybody and he was just that powerful. Of course, their mission, that organization's mission, was to guarantee balance in the world by fighting all forms of evil and corruption. And of course, before you ask, because I know you want to know, of course the family de Vadrine was part of the good guys, of course. 
they were just the last the last um hold for good in this part of france they had ties to the, the nobility they owned land they were just the last flame to represent what france once was and simply they needed to be protected and that is why Thierry tilly came into their life makes sense right my my thing with this is that if someone came up to me and was like hey look alex your family is like you know yeah. the good guys and i'm a part of this secret society i would ask for some sort of proof now i get at this point he's been preying on them mm -hmm. you know and he kind of has he has them um not hook line and sinker but he's he has a grasp of them but i would still i feel like at some point be like okay you need to show me some sort of proof yeah that you're a part of this organization or like the things that you're saying are true now i get it again everyone is like has their vulnerabilities and you know when someone tells you that you're special and you know someone says these things i think it's you know you want to believe them and i i think i almost i think in you know that most cults there's that like sense of belonging and mm -hmm. everything so i think i don't know if it was i don't know again it'd be really interesting to see some of the conversations that he was saying and like the, the what he was actually saying to the family to make them believe all of these things mm -hmm. but again outside looking in and again i i i have, i know i'm in this right state of mind to like see past this and maybe they right. weren't but you you would hope that someone would be or someone would say at some point like hey we need a little bit of proof to what you're saying but and... i think alex mm -hmm. um there's there's also the fact that these guys were nobility they were aristocrats so um somewhere they have that within themselves that they are better than others so if you have and add to that a person like him who's who's so manipulative with his words and has already got his hook onto them and is already you know uh, so close to them and if he says something that oh you guys are good in their mind it it means that they are better than others which in a way is how uh, blue blooded people think I'm not mm -hmm. saying all of them, but you know, they always have this thing in themselves that they are better than others. And when you have someone like him telling them that they are the last good people, I think it's easier for them to believe rather than people like us. <laughs> we True. Yeah. True. We're just a little bit more <laughs> cynical. <laughs> yes. And and uh, for them it's it's I think it's more easier to believe and also to believe a person like him because um I'm pretty sure he uh, like like um, Lily said he's just some little dude. So with his personality as well. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm sure he must be doing all their work, but also staying a little behind uh, so that, you know, they are in the front and, you know, they think that, oh, we, we, we are the ones, we are the greatest. And, you know, um, he, he knows his place. He, he, he knows his place. He's doing our work, but at the same time, he's not overstepping or, or crossing his boundaries. So in a way he's built that trust like that. and blue-blooded being blue-blooded they think they're better so i guess that was easier for him to yeah. manipulate there's but that's so just much my thought. yeah there's so much to factor in 
uh, like you said, um, in, inside they already think, not out loud, of course, but they already think, well, we're novelty, you know, we're part of the family. And also they're a little bit older, so maybe they might not be as um, just questioning, inquisitive, just double checking that everything is right. And at that point, it would be the first round of him uh, winning out who is not quite primed well enough. Um, there is a few members of the family, of the extended family at this time, that are like, look, this guy's a crook, I want nothing of it, and just stay away from me, weirdo. So that's when we see the first, the first uh, wave of family members in the extended family that are like, nah, I don't, I don't believe that, I don't buy that. Um, see, those extended family members are like us. Alex, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I do feel like though that if it's if it is something where you already know that like yeah you you come from like you know yeah, nobility and royalty and like you if you already know that you're special again it has like I I really want to know what he was saying to manipulate them if they already had this chip on their shoulder I'm not saying that they did but if they are like oh yeah right. I already know I'm special okay then what else was he saying that they didn't already know or needed to hear for him to like get a hold of them. So sometimes of being surrounded by yes men yeah. is, you know, kind of gives boosts to their ego, something that they already know, but getting to hear, hear from another person is, is all they need. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I guess that, that, that helping hand, the thing that like he was, you know, it, it wasn't something like that was drastic. Again, like what you were saying, Lily, at the very beginning, it was very small things like, oh, I can help you out here. And it's, mm -hmm. it's building that trust. And maybe that's what it is. It's like, it's first building all that trust. And then getting to see like, I think, yeah, I think he was very, very good at what he did with as far as, you know, I, I, I don't know if he's done it before. Maybe he had only a, on a smaller scale. I don't know if he'll get into that. And then like, mm -hmm. this was the big one that he was looking for. But yeah, I think he was, he was good at what he did in a, in a very bad way. Yes. This was definitely not his first con, the biggest for sure. Um, of course, we'll get back to that. Uh, but part of his conspiracies and what he was, uh, the stories that he would say is, He's part of this organization, and on the other side, you have the baddies, and the bad guys are, of course, the Freemasons and the Rosicrucians, which I've heard a little bit in history class, but I'm a little bit rusty. So if someone knows about knows more about the Freemasons and the Rosicrucians, please do go ahead, because I have just very surface level uh, understanding of what what they do. Oh, no, no, it's okay. <laughs> Are you talking about actually taking over right now and doing it? Because <laughs> sure, I don't care. That's a whole. That's a whole different conversation. And um, Seth and I have had a conversation with um. Oh, what was the what was the Freemason guy we talked to? We we got into a big conversation about that. Cody. Yeah. Oh shit! I don't know that. Oh gosh, we got into a long conversation about that. So. Um, huh. So, okay, yeah. maybe that's a good opportunity to go back and revisit an episode then. Yeah, so we can do a callback. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, go ahead and tell them. 
Oh, go ahead and tell him that we lost contact all together with him. Oh, yeah, we no, got to recontact with him because we have a recorded episode, but it wasn't yeah, we... like planned, and I don't want to just upload it. I, we got to ask his permission. Yeah, and and okay. then somehow we lost contact. I, I feel <laughs> I don't know if Seth has contact with him, but yeah, we mm. lost all contact after uh, some secrets, I guess, came out. But <laughs> okay, uh, is he okay? Is he alive? Yeah. I think he's I think he's in my state. I, I think he's close by it. Last time I checked. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well not not just with the uh Freemason though, with the Rosicrucians though, which is um, you know, obviously crossing the rose, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh this Scottish right uh church basically. Um I know what you're doing. So that's uh, you know. Yeah, a whole different thing. And then you get a lot of, um, I guess, we go to Templar stuff and we get to in, uh, you know, uh, Holy Grail mm-hmm. theories and things like that. So that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> but, All right, we know what next episode is going to be sweet. <laughs> so that that would be the bad guys in Terry Tilly's story. Um, and it ties so so well in the, you know, we're aristocrats, we're here to defend this idea of um, monarchy in France. We're just, of course, they have ties in the, um, all the way back to the 17th century with uh, Louis XIV. So, of course, all of that ties perfectly with a beautiful bow. Um, it works great for Terry Tilly, of course. Um, and everyone... The few in the family that left and thought that he was a crook were clearly they were not part of the core family that was important and that he's fighting for and protecting. So clearly they were not the good ones, of course, of course. Um, Guylaine's husband's, his name was Jean Marchand. Um, he was a journalist, as I've said before, and quickly he gathered that Terry Tilly is he is kind of a goofball, isn't he? He doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, Jean Marchand knew enough just to see through his uh, web of lie and just the the um, just the way he talked to people and his way of just manipulating their their words and just throwing back at them. He he kind of saw through that and quickly he said, "Look, he's an idiot. I I don't trust this guy. He thought that he was a threat." To the family and that marked the start of jean marchand being absolutely ousted from the family clearly he didn't have his family's best interest in mind because thierry tilly had been good to them up to this point and he had made them money he had solved their problems he had even uh bent the law for for them this guy was great and the fact that jean marchand was questioning this wasn't acceptable he wasn't acceptable um, so Thierry Tilly planted seeds here and there, one after the other, thinking that Jean Marchand, clearly he wasn't part of the good guys. He's part of the, the bad ones. Um, and Guylaine, of course, she completely dismissed all of that because she thought Thierry Tilly was a godsend, of course. She met him first. It'd been about three or four years now that she knew this man to some degree. Um, he held their son, so she loved him. Of course, 
She didn't think that Jean Marchand had anything to stand on. She completely dismissed it. It wasn't long before Terry Tilly started to demonize Jean Marchand, and he told Guylaine that he had very strong suspicions that Jean Marchand uh, worked with the Freemasons uh, and the Rosicrucians, of course. So he was just he was just an enemy to uh, to the family and to the estate. He even told Guylaine that her older sister Anne. Uh, like I've told you that has passed away, he pretty strongly believe he may have proof that um, Guylaine's brother-in-law, so Jean Marchand's brother, may have poisoned Anne, and that is why she passed away. So Thierry Tilly is already weaving this um, web of lies, and already there's murder involved. This lady that just passed away, I think, I believe it was um, a disease. She just passed away and he's now accusing extended family to have murdered her, poisoned her. Okay, Qu quick question. And this is for like, this is for everyone. Do you think this is the downfall of him is accusing other family members and getting everyone no. to turn on each other? And that's why it all fell apart or is because no. I I've, that also it's it's not. Mm -mm. No, okay. I think I think he really lost his grip when he turned to physical violence. I think that's okay. when that's when it was over because it wasn't enough anymore to talk his way into their mind. He had to literally beat them into thinking that his way was the way. Ooh. So I think that was just that was just what he had planned. That was the start. He knew already that, well, if any, anyone is not uh, useful to me anymore, I'll just put them in that box and nobody is going to be around them anymore because they'll trust me, of course. Okay, okay. I would, mm. Yeah, I was, I was just wondering because I almost feel like that might have been a downfall, but you're, you're already saying that it, mm. it was something completely different because I could see yeah. as soon as you start you know, coming up with these accusations and like, oh, I have proof. But then again, you don't present that proof or you don't have anything to back that up. Then I could mm -hmm. maybe see that was his downfall. But I guess if they were believing him still at this point and he had to turn yeah. into it turned into physical violence and that's when they, you know, got away. OK, that makes mm -hmm. sense. It's um, it's hard to believe the naivety that they had um, just throughout the year blindly trusting this man with huge amount of money or with their lives we'll get to it of course mm. but continuing on we're now in the summer mm. of 20 uh 2001 sorry um and at that time the funds in the school are just no more there's no more terry tilly can do to save the school so it shuts down um and again that was weighing quite a lot of on Gilan, but she let it happen because according to Thierry Tilly, this was part of the plan. Um, it was temporary. It was for her safety. Um, and he had people working on that. The school was not lost. No, it was turned into a safe place that would be used later on. Sure. Sure. He programmed her he programmed them, sorry, into thinking that the most mundane interaction that really didn't have anything to do with them, with their family, 
that was a threat, that was an attack, that was someone either tracking them or just doing something that was nefarious and the end goal was to destroy them. So oh, first it could be someone that was in the street, right? Yeah, it's the paranoia that starts at that point. You're right. Mm -hmm. It could be someone in the streets, you know, you're just walking and they just glance at you because you're in their field of vision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's someone that's tailing you. That's someone that's keeping track of your whereabouts, of what you're doing, who you're talking, where are you going? Um, someone that just peeks around of their newspaper. Nope. That's also someone who is tailing you, who is keeping track, and who is looking towards your downfall. And he just uh. planted that so deep in their mind that it would take a decade to undo that harm. Um, even I just... Can't imag I, mm -hmm. I just can't imagine that having that feeling... You know, having someone say like, oh, someone's following you, someone's watching your every move, like to have that, can, like much. that constant, yeah, it would just, I, f yeah. I feel like the stress of the world would just be on your shoulders yeah. and it would just be so, so tough. And I guess that would be a reason why you wouldn't want to leave your house or why you mm -hmm. wouldn't want to leave is because you would have these, you know, thoughts of like, oh, someone's, someone's watching me or my every move yes. and that would, it would just yeah. drive you nuts. Anyone. And if if there's nothing that fits your fears, you will make up something that fits your fear. Mm -hmm. Even if nobody is really paying attention to what you're doing in your daily life, you will find someone that's like, oh, no, no, no. I've seen this person yesterday at the same time, and I know yeah. they're up to no good. It's so, it's it's bad. And I think it um, might be, I think it might be kind of easy to tell someone like, okay, watch out for someone who's like wearing this certain item. Because I mean, if you make it very generic mm. and like, mm. you could be like, all right, they're going to have a briefcase and where they're going to be wearing this. Well, a lot of people wear that. So it's like, oh, exactly. it's that, oh no, it's that person. You know, it's, I think it's, it could be very easy to manipulate someone or to tell someone, someone's watching you, you know, look yeah. out for this. But so many people wear that exact. Mm -hmm. I wonder now this is completely off topic, but I'm wondering if that's kind of what, um, um, psychics do where it's very generic information mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, um, shit, I think South park made a, um, a joke about this, but it's like, all right, I'm feeling that in the energy that there's, something to do with money problems well money is a very like everyone has money problems to right. some degree it's so it's reading. like yeah 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 so mm -hmm. i think it's, it's on the same lines of of that totally agree. again off topic i've heard about south park doing a lot of things i really need to go and watch yeah i've heard this a lot every episode please please do that <laughs> We should I all have a South Park night with Ro. We Agreed. should all hop into the Discord. Yes, we don't please. even have to worry about recording. We just watch it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we can. Yeah, yeah. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, on the flip side of Terry Tilly putting this kind of paranoia in their mind, he had agents and teams all around protecting the Dividrine, of course. He would go away and in a corner talk to someone on the phone. Very secretive. Very, yeah. Wait, wait, it wait. It was wait. nobody, so, probably, but 
but he Uh-oh. was convincing them that there's people around the house in the streets protecting us from oh, the bad okay. guys. So he was so okay. I thought I thought you actually I thought you actually meant like he had like a real team of people. I was like, oh, were the were those the people out in the street mm-hmm. like quote unquote watching them? Watching. But okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, okay. Complete lies through and through. Complete lies. He would say that he had teams all over the world watching out for them, protecting them, or you know, stopping a um, removing um. What's it called? Explosive material under their cars. But it was complete BS. And they believed it still. Of course. Um, in, in September 2001, um, there's yet another step of control uh, with Cherry Tilly and the family. He would decide on who comes to what event. He would only sanction people that he thought were in the others. No, they were either the um, the Freemasons or they were trying to, they were rooting for the demise of the family. They were looking for their destruction. So quickly, he just removed people off the list and once more just weeded out uh, who was not primed, who wasn't programmed to his liking. So that's wave two of him removing extended family, including uh, Jean Marchand, the, uh, Guylaine's husband. So that's when mm-hmm. he, he was a uh, persona non grata anymore. Um, first, he instructed the siblings and uh, Philip's wife, Bridget, to um, just sequester themselves in the school just to keep safe because Agents were moving around, and it was just too unstable. The situation was too unstable, so they just had to lock themselves in the school, the abandoned school at that point. And he said they have to be physically in the school to keep it standing. Um, Otherwise, the government and just the Freemasons are going to take it. They're going to take everything. They're going to lock you up, put you in the mental institute. It's going to be terrible. And what did they do? They did exactly that. They went into the school. They stayed there in the cold with no electricity, no heat, nothing. They stayed and they waited until Terry Tilly said, we're good. They ended up staying in that school for the better part of four months. Better, um, barely going out, barely talking to anyone. Um, just, just staying there for four months with barely enough, um, you know, just food to eat or no comfort, nothing. And they just ate it up. They really did. In December, the repo came to the school because the funds had been gone for a long time now, and it was time to take everything out. Um, But again, again, of course, Cherry Tilly was like, it's all part of the plan, y'all, okay? They're not repossessing everything in the school no they're taking it away and put it in a safe storage because assassins are coming up and we need this out and you guys need to be out as well go to philip's house and we just need to get this going as soon as possible of course all of that was also bs um they just had to pay what they owed and their belongings were to repossessed but 
Terry, Terry Tilly just flipped the story around and all of a sudden it was uh, his plan and it was his um, his way. He had it all planned the way it should be. He had an explanation for everything. That's what I, I was trying to say. Mm. It's, it's ridiculous. It keeps going. I hope you're comfortable because it keeps going. Um, from 2002 to 2003, most of the family hid in the Chateau Martel. Um, and they were still corresponding to Thierry Tilly, which at the time, I almost missed that. He had to go to England because one of his warrant was out and he was going to be jailed. Um, so he just flew to England. He was still corresponding with them, calling them, email. He was giving them orders. Uh, and over the year, they kept in touch. And he was like, in 2002, he was like, we need to lock all y'all up in Chateau Martel. Um, keep you guys safe. And every once in a while, he would give them orders such as, you have to board up all the windows. You have to turn off the lights. You have to be extremely quiet. And you have to wait. I have agents around that are trying to um, protect you and are trying to kill off any assassins that are coming. So you need to stay put and you need to stay uh, low. That's what they did. That's what they did. They didn't know any better. They didn't have a reason to distrust Terry Tilly. Mm. He had been good to them as far as, as they were concerned. So they did it. They just did. Uh, um, that's just blind faith. Mm -hmm. It's just, like you said, blind faith and no, no questioning of, like, when is this going to end? What are we doing? Who are we fighting? Is this even worth it? Can we go to the police? There's no, mm. there's none of that. Oh, did you change your T-shirt? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I'm just picking so... up. <laughs> I like how you're... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waking up just now. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, I did change my T-shirt. <laughs> was it uncomfortable to have the tag on your neck? Yes, yes it was. Yes, I think that was... Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. All right, this time. Fine. Um... So uh, Thierry Tilly, while he was away in England, he instructed the Devedrine to keep a journal of everything that was going on. He was very um, just on top of things at this point. He was his control was kind of uh, out of whack. He needed to know everything, where they were going, what they were doing, who they were talking to. Um, mm. Only Guylaine was allowed to go out. She would get some groceries once a month come back she would have to give a very detailed recount of what happened what did she do what did she buy who did she talk to because it just had to be so careful and to be safe terry tilly had to know everything and that's what they did they just kept kept a journal and they would tell him what what was going on mm. by late 2003 the sole breadwinner of the family at that point was the youngest sibling, Charles-Henri, and he was an OBGYN. Um, he just had to send tens of thousands of euros to Thierry Tilly 
and he was advised by the conman that he needed to conduct an audit of his practice just to know what was going on and if everything was in order because if the Freemasons had um, put their little grabby hands into their funds or into the practice, that would not be good for the Dividrings. So, of course, he had a very good contact to help with that. And who was it other than Vincent David, the lawyer from the beginning of the story? Now, if we have a little bit of a sad note here, the reason why this audit was conducted by um, uh, Vincent David was because Thierry Tilly had scammed him out of just about 9,000 euros. And Thierry Tilly needed to make that money. So what he thought was, what, well, I could have Vincent approach Charlari, do the job, and then bill him for about the amount amount that I owe him and everything will be in order. Thing is, Charlotte couldn't really afford that. He had been giving away just hundreds here, two thousands, tens of thousands to Cherry Tilly. He was just running low on liquidities. So Cherry Tilly told him, you have to shut this whole thing down. You have to sell your practice. You have to liquidate all of your assets. You need to pay this because this is very important. Um, and he told them after you're, you've done with that, you have to leave to safety because clearly something is awfully wrong if you can't afford to pay this audit with my lawyer for 9,000 euros. Which, where does that make sense? Just where does that make sense? That's what happened though. I'm not making this up. <laughs> Like the roller coaster just kept increasingly getting insane to where I guess people that, I mean, I guess if you were uh, subject to that in that weird stupor, it, you would be, I, you, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like he, he's like, it's been such a slow boil to this point. Yeah, absolutely. They're definitely, yeah, being slowly boiled alive. That's perfect uh, analogy for that. Because they have been um, hammered with the idea that there is no other solution but to do what Cherry Tilly is saying they should do. So they'll find a way. They'll find a way. Otherwise, the person that's not doing it is going to get shunned, is going to be out of the family, and they're going to be out with nothing. Um, at that point of the story, Jean Marchand, who was... Uh, Guylaine's husband before she just threw him out of her life um he's really starting to see the like the very real destruction of his family's fortune he still has two children with Guylaine that are still tied up in this nonsense and it's just very scary because he now he hasn't seen them for a year almost two um he starts to bring the story to the press he still has a lot of contacts from his days of being deep into journalism. So he just reaches out. He gets people on to the chateau to see what's going on, to get the word out. Because this man, Thierry Tilly, he's a poison and he's destroying his family. A journalist, a friend of his, uh, Delas is his name, 
he will get to the chateau and he will try to get a statement from the family. I think he gets Gillen on the at the door when he knocks. They refuse to make a statement. They don't want to talk to the press, to the TV, to nobody. They're trying to keep safe. And if Thierry Tilly has not sanctioned this uh, journalist, he is good as, as nothing. Just go away. Uh, he publishes a paper saying, well, this is what I found. And they're recluse. Um, they're recluse. They're not talking to me. They're just self-isolating. Luna, get the heck out. Sorry. Luna the cat is um, trying to get comfortable on my lap. That's it. This is a cat-friendly podcast. By yeah. <laughs> yes, but she's being destructive. <laughs> Not destructive, but she's being a stinker. Okay. We need to start putting purrs on really low volume in the background of all our podcasts. Yes. It's like that, part and we need ASMR. a kitty cat cam as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'll work on that. Thanks. Um, so this journalist decides to publish a paper on the family, just detailing what he knows from Jean Marchand. And um, he gets hit with a with lawsuit from the family, invasion of privacy. Um, and turns out they win. He has to pay them 23,000 euros because he published that paper. He doesn't name Thierry Tilly in um, this article. He calls him Thierry T, um, which probably working around some, some laws and restrictions there. Um, and that's not enough to really put a seed of doubt in the members of the family that are still um, uh, sequestered in the chateau. They dismiss everything. Um, if anybody says that Terry Tilly is a con man, they're liars and they're good for nothing. It doesn't stop there though. Jean Marchand will go to the TV, he will do interviews, and he really wants to get the word out because clearly he can't do much by himself because he's not even allowed to see his kids. He's not allowed to see Guylaine, his wife, or his ex-wife. So it's just, it's just terrible all around. So he reaches out to the uh, television and um, he will actually get cameras to come to the property and try to talk to them. And you can find the very short snippet online on YouTube if you uh, look it up. All they say in French is, do not come any closer. If you need to tell us something, go through our lawyer. Just, that's it. Go away, turn back private property, just go away. It's a complete wall. There's nothing. They don't want any communication with the outside world. Which is sad, because it comes from a family that, that was very close to the community. They were rather open, and now they're so closed off to everybody. Just everybody and anybody. Um, in August At of- this point- mm -hmm. Sorry, Lily, I just wanted to check. At this point, um, I'm sure the three siblings have children, right? Yes. Yeah. And Philippe, who is the eldest, who was 60, I'm sure he, he'll have children in his 20s who are in their 20s. Yes. They're, they're adults. They're young adults. Some of them try, try to get married. I, I removed that detail from my research because it was just too much. It's, 
um, so one of the the third generation, the children, the young adults, one of them tries mm-hmm. to get married to someone that she falls in love with, and by some chance she gets away long enough to realize that there's a problem, but she still gets back in. She's reeled back in by her mother and Terry Tilly, and she just breaks off with her fiance, with her husband. Sorry, at the time, and they seem to be very much in love and. You can see this gentleman. I wish I remembered his name now. I wish I remembered his name. Um, he gives an interview saying that he felt insane. He felt like he was losing his mind, trying to understand why she left. And finally, mm-hmm. he says, I healed a little bit when I realized that there is no rationa- rationality to what she did. Um, there's no way to to understand because there's no rhyme or reason. It wasn't me. I didn't do anything. It was just very, it put it into perspective that these are real people. It was very, it was a lot. That's just just sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The way you described it that, uh, that way almost is like the wicker man. Mm -hmm. Kind of thing. (laughs) You know, like you meet, it's crazy yeah you're like you meet this person and it's like oh this is the perfect person you can't imagine your life without them and then they have to disappear back into this cult-esque no uh i guess the reach that he has the the power he has over those folks is ridiculous nobody should have that amount of power over someone i don't think so to be able to say you're not allowed to see your children or you're not allowed Mm. to see your father or you're not allowed to go to your mother-in-law's funeral even if you were super close to her. It's... (sighs) I wonder what he says. I mean, like you said, the daughter was able to see it from an outside perspective, understood that there is something wrong and yet Mm -hmm. chose to come back into this family. I wonder what was told to her. You know, it or was... maybe there might be a threat of life. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe they threatened her that her husband would be killed. There's one some way or of the that. other. Yeah. And there's just, you know, talking to your mom every day. And she is just reinforcing this in your mind that you have to come back and what you're doing is not right. And this man is dangerous and you're threatening the family. You're just. It's like beating this this crap in her mind every day, every other day. It must have been really rough. And I can just only imagine that at some point she had to make the, de- to make the decision of, am I just going to stay here and just constantly think I did this to my family and I'm ruining them or I'll just go back and it will be okay. Everything will be, everyone will be safe. So it That's must have been such a... It's tough. It's terrible. See us. In August of 2006, some 10 years after their initial meeting with Cherry Tilly, Charles Henri, the youngest of the siblings, and his wife Christine are invited to Oxford in England to join Cherry Tilly and see him in person. They're told that they should be here for only a few days. It will be catching up. Mostly talk about the funds, make sure that everything is in order and straightened out. They end up staying years there. And the conditions were 
horrible. They were terrible. They were staying in a guest house that was on the opposite side of where Thierry Tilly was staying. And it was just not livable. Cables dangling from the ceiling. The electricity wasn't working right. The heating wasn't working right. This place was just a mess. It wasn't really livable. And it wasn't to the standard that, you know, a well-to-do family from France could expect. Like, this, this was just not it. Christine, she didn't really get programmed as deeply by Thierry, uh, Tilly as the others. She, after all, she was only the um, daughter-in-law. She was uh, Charles-Henri's wife. And she just looked over the family fortune quickly. She just kind of went through the documents that she had access to. And she estimated that they had lost over 4 million euros at that time. Oh, God. And of course, she goes to Cherry Tilly and she's like, what's going on? Where's all that money? We need answers. I need answers. But the thing is, according to Cherry Tilly, she was not to know about that. It wasn't her role. It wasn't her place. He would have private conversation with her husband, Charles-Henri, mm -hmm. um, that she would know nothing about. It would pertain to money. It would pertain to the family's safety, to the other siblings. Um, but she wouldn't be let in to those conversations. So she was just lost, um, doubting still, is, is this man still for our own good or is he actually destroying us? Is he bringing the destruction that he was trying to protect, um, us from? She was just kind of lost in that, um, limbo here for a second. Mm -hmm. um, she had met him, met him only a few times at that point. A um, couple times in person, she had talked to him a few times on the phone, exchanged emails, but other than that, she wasn't as programmed. And it was just, she had a crucial part in that balance that I mentioned before, you know, the greater good and being protected from the Freemasons, etc. She had a part right. in that because turns out, turns out, she was part of a family that was very important. Of course. She mm -hmm. knew about a message or he would call it a transmission that was mm -hmm. a secret, um, a location of a fortune that a treasure that she would know about. And it was buried deep, deep in her head, in her memory. She didn't know about it. She wasn't conscious about it, but it was in there. She just had mm. to really, 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 really look deep. Terry Taylor knew because he just knew. He knew. And he tried to get this idea into Gillen, uh, sorry, into Christine that she had a greater role to play than what she thought. And that kind of reeled her in a little bit. Because, of course, she was special, too. She wasn't just, you know, the wife of. Of course, she was special, too. Um, so he has golden jewelry. That's, that's what he said the, the, this treasure was about. And but she, she didn't know what that was about. But at the same time, she didn't want to be shunned. She had seen what had happened to... Her brother-in-law, Jean Marchand, she had seen what had happened to extended family and they were just completely barred from their life. 
She didn't want that. She loved her children. She loved her husband. She had too much to lose. So she tried to come up with something. Something. Um, so at some point she remembered, she mentioned just a detail that her family had ties with Belgium. Maybe they had gone to a vacation there at some point. Something just inconsequential. But Thierry Tilly latched onto that detail. And before they knew it, her and her son were in Belgium going from bank to bank, asking every teller, do I have an account with your bank? Oh. No. Okay, <laughs> thanks. Going from bank to bank. And they were laughed at because it's a silly thing to ask. You know, do, do you know of my family just keeping gold and jewelry in your bank? Nothing? Okay. No, this is not a robbery, sir. <laughs> it's not a robbery. <laughs> We're good. It's just, she didn't know what she was doing, but she wanted to, she wanted to make things better so much that she tried really hard. That was not good enough. It made Cherry Tilly very upset, very angry that she wasn't able to come up with the treasure, the transmission that he was talking about. Um, so they ended up sitting her down and really talking to her because now she had to come up with something. Okay, now it was ridiculous. Thierry Tilly knew that she knew something. She knew where it was. She knew an account number. She knew a location. He convinced her husband, Charles Henri, that she knew. And Charles Henri, being as programmed as he was, he believed it. And they started to really, really question her. It, it started to become a little nasty. After several days of interrogation, she gave up a lead, something. But again, it was nothing because she just made it up. She didn't know what was what. The, um, the numbers, the location, and the name didn't amount to anything because they were random. They, they were pulled out of just nothingness. So they decided to keep her locked in. They confis confiscated everything. Her belongings, her jewels, her baking information, just everything. Her paperwork, passport, everything. At this time, the rest of the family comes up because it's a serious matter at this time. Mm -hmm. And it gets so bad that Thierry Tilly asks her, to to jog her memory he just sits her down in a room and he's like you're gonna write those lines and it's gonna jog your memory just write it down write it just write a bunch of times you'll be fine that's what she does she takes a pen of paper and for days on end she just writes various sentences just i can do it if i want it i can i'm gonna remember this for the sake of the, my family. If I do not do this, I am endangering the lives of my children. Writing this over and over. At this point, she tries to escape, but she doesn't make it very far because she's weak. She is older. She's not old, but she's older, so she's not as quick. She only makes it to the street, and then she's dragged back right in that house. Oh. And it's just, 
it gets worse from here. It does. It just does. She so, was I'm, let I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Before we proceed, I just wanted to check. I mean, uh, she also belonged to some good family, right? That That's what she said, that she was mm-hmm. also special. Um, and when she was going around checking in banks, whether her family has an account open, whether there's gold, um, why didn't she reach out to her own family to check that? I am not sure about that. I'm not sure. It could be that maybe it still needed to be a secret and that the family didn't need to know she was looking for it. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just theorizing at this point. I'm not sure why she didn't reach out. I'm not sure. Maybe Hmm. she didn't have as tight of ties with them since they blocked everyone around them. That could be it. There are, they were yeah. also in another country that could be, that could play a part in that as well. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. but then this is the 2000s, right? I mean, it would have been easy to communicate over internet yeah. or a phone. It's... Hmm. Yeah, and they're very used to That's emails, it. so she could have, she could have done that. Yeah. And if she did, I have not found it. I have not found I... it if she did, if she did reach out to her family. But you would think, yeah, that would be the first step. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. Um, she was let out once, but in 2008, she was back to being sequestered by the entire family. And to that point, it wasn't only Cherry Tilly keeping her in and just asking her to write lines and just do those silly assignments. It was the entire family because at this point, all of them thought no, she knows something. She knows something and she has to tell us what's going on because we need that money at that point. Like, she gave up at some point. She couldn't eat. She couldn't sleep or leave. She, they took her to the basement, put her on her stool, and they kept her awake for days on end. Because what Thierry Tilly said, he said, if she falls asleep, she's going to forget about the secret, about the transmission. So keep her awake. Ask her where it is. She knows where it is. And she just couldn't pull out that kind of money out of, you know, thin air. It went on to some time until Thierry Tilly resulted to just punching her and pushing her off the stool and just shaking her up and trying to get that information out of her and it was there was nothing to get out he accused christine uh to have an affair with jean marchand which is uh uh, guillen's ex-husband he was outside of the family now um oh sorry um so he he accused her of having an affair and there was no grounds to that she would never do that she had children with charles henry she loved him very much so there was no reason for her to do something um like that but of course according to terry tilly he had a video he had proof and she was lying she was keeping the fortune everyone was so against her it lasted 24 days Oh my god, this is torture. It's crazy, isn't it? 
Like, how can you do that to your own family yeah. members? It's crazy. Finally, I, mm-hmm. I cannot even begin to fathom what what is being um, told to these people that they turn against your own family, your own wife, your own mother. Right? It's just, it's so barbaric and just so cruel to do something like that to that poor woman. Um, and after, like I said, after 24 days that she didn't give out anything and she was so weak and clearly, clearly if she didn't say anything up until now, she's not going to let it out by that point. And Thierry Tilly's next scheme was to convince everybody we have to sell the chateau. We need money. We are in financial ruin at this point. You guys need to sell the Chateau Martel. And that rose a few, a few questions because that was, you know, a prized possession of the family. It was their home that they had known for so long that they had owned for so long. So that, that didn't go very well. And they tried to, um, find workarounds to not sell it or to sell it, to put a mortgage on it. Um, finally, they were able to sell it, but with the close saying that if they can pay 51000 a year, they would be able to buy it back. Unfortunately, they were not able to produce the 51,000 euros and the chateau was lost. In 2008, it didn't belong to the Davidrine anymore which is so sad, like from a, you know, historical viewpoint that it belonged to such a family for so many decades, centuries, Mm -hmm. and now it was just sold. It's sad in a way. And to think that they did everything to maintain that so-called nobility and they lost. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, and that's... That's like the beginning of everything is going bad for Terry Tilly at this point. He kind of starts to lose lose grasp on the family members. You can tell that at this point of the story, he's not having as much control over them. Um, in February of two, 2008, after the chateau is sold, um, he uh, sit them down and he talks about the finances, but... That doesn't go over well because the chateau was just sold so they should have liquidities and it's not looking like they have much of anything philippe the elder son he just goes in a fit of rage he says he says to, to terry tilly that he's a manipulator that he's a con man that he's a con artist that he stole money from them and that he's trying to destroy them the other wow, siblings, <laughs> right? I'm glad you caught on. <laughs> the, the other siblings, they don't really subscribe to that. They're, they're not seeing just yet how deep uh, Terry Tilly's control has gone. Um, and there's just a big scuffle. It's bad. It's very bad. They end up all going back to France, away from Terry Tilly. Um, and uh, they still try to get in touch with Thierry to get the money because 
now they don't have anything. And Charles-Henri sold and closed this practice. He was an OBGYN, not anymore. So they really don't have any income coming in. And it's very dire straits. Um, Philippe again had had enough. And at this time, in a fit of rage, there's a big old fight. And the cops end up being called. And uh, he's taken away to be at the hospital in a mental facility to just calm down after this um, argument because it was really bad. Um, I think he bit one of her, uh, one of his sibling. He just bit what? the crap out of them. That's how bad it got. Like they, they were almost um, regressing to children being in such dire straits and just being so desperate and they have no autonomy anymore. They have no agency. So we're going to punch each other in the face and we're going to bite someone enough to draw blood. So he bit the oh. crap. Uh, I think of, uh, I think his sibling, I believe so. So it was just, at this point, there's a little glimpse of hope for Philip. While he is in the hospital, he's slowly starting to break hold of Terry Tilly. Um, he's trying to regain his senses a little bit, and he's starting to see that there's something very wrong that's going on with his family. He reaches out. Uh, he gets in touch with Jean Marchand. Um, that was... he's All this time, he's been trying to help his family members. He's been devastated, and he's just trying. Um, so it's just, it's a lot at that point. He gets to take him out of the, um, grasp of Terry Tilly and they can talk, but he's still not quite ready to sign off a statement and actually press charges against Terry Tilly. It, it's going to take him a little bit to, mm. to get back to reality on that. And I, I can't blame him because... The amount of psychological torture that he went through. That's, that's that, that would cannot be, too be changed much. overnight. Mm -hmm. Yep. You'll take time to come out of it. And, and somewhere, you know, in that deep subconscious, you will have doubts whether you're doing the right thing to go against mm -hmm. the person who was there you know, um, right. doubling your money, you know, making sure that you're safe, even though he wasn't, but somewhere in that subconscious mind, you'll be like, um, maybe he just, you know, he mm -hmm. did the right thing. Maybe there's always a maybe there. So yes. yeah, these things don't change overnight. I totally agree. And I, I wrote down a little point in my notes. I wonder if at some point, Terry Tilly has like, the figure, you know, not the man himself, but like the idea of Terry Tilly kind of mm -hmm. became a father figure almost. True. Almost like mm -hmm. becoming some sort of father to them because their father had passed away a long time ago. And maybe, maybe they saw something in him the way maybe he gave them orders and kind of direct directed them and gave sense to their lives. Maybe. Sure. Maybe they saw it like that a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they didn't have to do a lot of thinking on their own. 
you know there was mm-hmm. someone else who was who was doing it for them so that that dependency i think was taken away from them and that, that's why i think at a point they'll feel lost after you mm-hmm. know moving away from him yes and there was definitely some of that it took a while for philip to actually open up to jean marchand but when he did not only he signed a statement against Thierry Tilly, he also gave the new address to where his remaining family members, Guylaine, his children, where they were. And that was huge information because he had completely lost track of them since they went to England. He had no idea. So having that information now was extremely valuable. He was able to get the cops there to do... um, uh, what's it called? Um, shoot. Sorry, I wrote it somewhere. Uh, wellness check. That's what he did. He was uh, able to get the authorities to, to do wellness checks on, on the family. And while the authorities didn't see anything alarming at first, the fact that it was documented was already huge. It would help uh-huh. later on in the lawsuit. Um... I'll speed up a little bit because I know it's been going on for quite some time now, but um, Jean Marchand showed up. Oh, okay. I appreciate it. Thank you, Seth. Um, Jean Marchand ended up showing up at the address and he wasn't threatening. He wasn't antagonistic, but he wanted answers. Um... Unfortunately, his family members were not receptive and they still thought that he was part of the either Freemasons of the, um, or the Wasserkrucians. So they were not receptive when he came in to um, not quite save them at this point, but just check in on them, check in on them. Because at that point, it'd been years since he'd seen his children. So he just wanted to say, I'm here, you're loved, and just come back to me, come back to me. Um, it took a lot of time for the web to untangle. It was a very painful, and Terry Tilly was such a um, skilled con man that he had many fall guys. Surprisingly, even if this was a one-man con, he still had fall guys. For example, he was in touch with a gentleman uh, by the name of Jacques Gonzalez. Um, He gave him some of the money from the Devedrines, and he recorded him and manipulated the conversation to some extent so that he would incriminate himself when it came to an eventual lawsuit. Um, Oh. He also had one of the, the young adults, the little children, um, to have some of the money from the Chateau Marcel being sold on their account, on their um, bank account, so that they would be incriminated in case every, any, anything happened. He was one step forward. And even if at that point he was slowly losing, losing power over the Devadrine, he was still one step ahead and planning for the eventual downfall of his mini cult. 
crazy like to think that someone would go to those extremes he actually had thought it out through i mean to have a backup plan in case things go kaput yeah. exactly means he did he did think about it through the end yeah <laughs> yeah it's like one of those things where i'm always worried no nobody would think that that or, or like go that far on that idea or or that yeah. seems or you know that like voice that paranoid voice where it's like oh they're out to they're out to get but this guy is like planning every facet and it mm-hmm. bothers me because i was kind of convinced i was making that up in my head but, but thank you for that yeah no no, no <laughs> absolutely he was such he was definitely playing playing chess when everybody else was playing checkers definitely like, he I, wasn't, was... i wasn't expecting this i wasn't expecting it to get this ramped up i thought it was like i don't know i had when we started this i had a completely different picture mhm it it's he is insane he's insane yeah. when yeah. i will tell you what ended up happening after the lawsuit i promise you your jaw will be on the floor because i was not expecting this outcome very crazy but let's keep going So right now at the story um the family is starting to shake this uh grip off. Finally they're starting to realize that reality is other otherwise. Terry Tilly has been weaving this web of lie and just completely covering their eyes and their, you know, mind with this fog of lies and just conspiracies and freemasons and all of that one by one pretty much they reach out to either Jean Marchand or to other family members that have gotten out for example um Christine the one that was tortured for the better part of a month she finally makes it out of this terrible terrible cult um and it takes her quite a long time to open up about what happened but when she does it's a very instrumental part of bringing the case forward and starting the process the judi- judicial process um when she signs her statement brings it up to a judge and finally tells the world what happens everybody is baffled because no one had a clue it went this far ridiculous it's so crazy i feel bad for her because what she's gone through it could break your mind for just the rest of your life yeah 24 days is crazy 24 days of trying to remember something that is not real it's not it's not real you can't make something up out of thin air because she tried to do that but of course it led to nothing because it was made up. Um so it took a lot but finally um Terry Tilly was located in England. And now I have to either remind you or tell you that England is not in the Schengen area. They're not. Their borders are not open even more now with the um Brexit, but even back then they would not just extradite someone that had a warrant, for example. So the, uh-huh. the authorities, the French authorities had to be very careful and look into Thierry Tilly's behavior and his plans 
and by some sort of happenstance, um, he got wind that some of his businesses, I believe, were in trouble and he had to go to Belgium. Now, Belgium is uh, available to um, get prisoners or, I'm sorry, not prisoners, but um, criminals or uh, oh. I'm missing the word that I'm Suspects? Suspects. Thank you, Ro. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. If you're a suspect or if you have a warrant for your arrest, you can be extradited because Belgium is part of the Schengen um, base in Europe. And that's exactly what happened. As soon as he landed, Terry Telly was taken by the authorities and he was put uh, in hold. Now, unfortunately, the other family members are still afraid, are still scared for their life. And I believe at that oh. point, there's two, I think, uh, family members left in this just completely sequester uh, sequestered and uh, refusing to go out and realize what, who and what Terry Tilly is. Um, I think it's Gillen and her son, if I remember correctly, but I'm not 100%. I know she wasn't alone in the house at the end, but I can't remember for sure what was who was the other family member. Um, so the ones that have gotten away try to form a plan to get her out. Think of it as an intervention. Um, with a cult expert from France, and uh, a few others, they go to the house where she is self-isolating and they try to contact her. Now, they fib a little bit. There's a little bit of trying to ease into this conversation. But unfortunately, as she opens the door to talk to the person, she catches uh -huh. a glimpse of Philip just at the corner of the street. And she just understands that this is not good. This is the Freemasons again. This is not good. Shuts the door oh. and just completely cuts off communication that time around. Unfortunately, the commotion, um, with the commotion, the authorities are uh, cold. And it doesn't end very well. That At that time, they have to explain themselves. They have to say, look, this is an intervention. What we're doing is very important. We're trying to save someone. Um, they try to to explain the magnitude of what happened and why Ghislaine needs their help right now. She needs to be deprogrammed. Um, so with the help of the authorities, they form a plan that instead of trying to talk to her first, they need to shock her out of this stupor. Oh. So they pretty much just reach out mm -hmm. to her and mm -hmm. As soon as they can, show them uh, a video footage of Thierry Tilly with the authorities um, arrested, talking to talking about the Divadrines as if they were good for nothing, stupid, uh, old, just crap, dirt on the ground. And this is when finally Gillen understands that. 
there's a disconnect between her idea of what of who Terry Tilly is and what he is really, what kind of man he is. He finally, she finally understands that he is not this wonderful blah 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 blah. He's just a con man. He is a fraud, and he took advantage of her family, and they lost so much. It's really at that point where all of them are starting to heal, but there's still a lot of work to do. So I won't go into too much details about the, um, the trial, but needless to say, Thierry Tilly is just making a f complete farce out of the trial. He tells the, um, they decide not to have a jury trial they have a just a magistrate trial because they think that it's too it wouldn't be easy for uh jurors to understand the magnitude of this case so terry tilly just puts on a show he just is clowning around talking all these tales of what he knows and how many languages he speaks and he has met this person and he's been to this country and, and actually he's not even French, he's not even English, he's from this country. It's just a complete, it's complete lunacy. He is truly, truly, he's lost touch with his audience, with reality, with all of it. He's not, he's not all there. Um, so... This is just, he is convicted, he is sentenced to eight years, which isn't much. That's it? It isn't much. Um, let me see if I can find the charges again. He was uh, finally sentenced to illegal arrest, kidnap, imprisonment, or arbitrary detention of a hostage, violence against a vulnerable person, criminal exploitation of the ignorance or the weakness of a person in a state of psychological or physical subjection. He appealed it and he got maximum sentence of 10 years, which in my very humble opinion is nothing. It's, it's bullshit. Nothing. <laughs> right? It's nothing. He, uh, he had to do 10 years in prison he had to pay about eighty thousand to christine as restitution um he also mm -hmm. had to pay another smaller amount because um christine and charlotte Henry were the ones that lost the most in terms of assets and capital um right and after he served his 10 years he has been to to this day in a psychiatric hold uh, in a mental institute. So, thank goodness, at least he's not out and about scamming people and defrauding people. Because the damage he's managed to do in 10 to 12 years is about 4.5 million euros lost. About 2 million euros that are unencounted uh, of the overall fortune, which... Some people are theorizing that they're in a offshore's bank account somewhere. Um, you know, and, it's quite possible. And out of all of that, 
just about 2,000, uh, 200,000, sorry, euros were recovered. They were not able to get the Chateau Martel back. They were not able to get back a lot of their properties they had to sold. Um, one silver lining is that um, um, Charles, Charles Henri, the youngest of the mm -hmm. sibling, he is back to being uh, an OBGYN, so he's back to do, I'm assuming, what he loves and what he's good at. So that's good that he got his practice back. Um, most of these siblings are doing better now. They're still healing, but there's still a lot of work to do because it's incredibly fresh what happened to them, even if mm -hmm. you know, a little bit more than a decade has happened. Uh, as past, sorry, is still quite fresh. So they're just still healing, and he is somewhere in a mental institute, hopefully never seeing the outside air again. Is Christina back with her husband, or...? Um, Chris yes, everyone is back together. Guylaine and Jean Marchand are remarried. Um, they were married on the same day that they married the first time, which I thought was pretty sweet. Um, yeah. I'm pretty confident that Christine um, remarried as well. Um, yeah, it's there's a silver lining to it. Of course, there's a few of the younger generation that has had a rough go. Um, I know that one of them still lives in England and he is having a very rough time. I think he just works in a fast food chain and just trying to work through life. Um, I mentioned one of the younger adults that got married and then got pulled away from this marriage to go back into the cult. Um, mm -hmm. If I remember correctly, now she's back to England. She remarried and she's just very living a very simple life. But I don't know that she's fully healed from that either because she just kind of ran away and she may not have contacts with her, with her family anymore. So there's and that's fine. I think... Uh... Yeah, and, and I think that's fine because everybody heals in their own way. Yeah, that's true. As that's long true. as they are in the right path, I think mm -hmm. that's all that matters. Yeah. Although I'm not happy about the uh, sentencing yeah. that that yeah. madman got. That feels like nothing. It really does. Yeah. To this day, Christine, that was tortured, she still has a limp from that. Like, she oh, she did not recover fully from that abuse and torture that's just so sad and i i believe the matriarch um guillemette like the the grandmother i think she passed mm -hmm. away in 2010 so to think that the last two decades of her life were just in so much misery i hope she got she got some peace mm -hmm. and rest you know in the With last the, decade yeah. or so because Nobody deserves to have so much stress and just, she literally saw her family fall apart true, and just true. losing everything. Their beloved castle, their mm -hmm. community they were so close to, their reputation. So yeah, it's tough. They, they have written a bunch of books. If you're interested, please do check them out. Um, there's a TV show. That's called, I believe, um, so it's in French, but the English translation is diabolical. Um, 
and I think you should be able to find either a dubbed or a subtitled version of it if you're interested. Um, there's a bunch Netflix? of documentaries. What was that? Did you say it was on Netflix? I, I don't think that it's on Netflix. I don't think so. It's quite old well, if now. I'm very interested. That would be so cool we'll if it was check on YouTube first. Yeah. I'll I'll do a live dub. How about that? There you <laughs> <go>. <laughs> yeah, I think it was made in 2000 and 2016 or 2014. So it's I'm I'm not entirely sure that there will be a dub, but maybe, maybe. And yeah, there's a bunch of very cool books. Um I do recommend uh OKI's video on YouTube. It's a five-parter. I think they're each between 15 and 20 minutes. Check them out. It's very easy to watch or listen to if you're doing some chores around the, the house. Um, I was also reading an article from the Cram Wire that was that was pretty good source of information as well. So yeah, that's about all I have. And I was pretty grim, but <laughs> I tried to be lighthearted. <laughs> <laughs> that was extremely detailed. I, I can't wait for this episode to go up. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I went deep. And that wasn't even all of it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for pulling up with me tonight. Um, I know I talk a lot and I talk fast. So thank you for putting up with me. No. It, <laughs> I think. It, but yeah, that was, that was a very sad one. And not a yeah. happy ending, but... Not really a satisfying one, I agree. I think the only silver mm. lining is that everybody were married and everybody's healing, but beyond that... Wow. Yeah. I think he well, got off pretty easy. Yeah. That he did. Um, well, since this was your episode, do you want to sign us off? Oh, <laughs> now I feel special. Where's my Freemason threat? <laughs> well thank you everybody for listening to me now I hope that it was a good episode and I hope that you had a good time thank you to the audience as well and please remember we don't want stuff that's normal we want stuff that's effing weird